If you actually have a physical Bible today, it'd probably help you to open it up because we're going to look at details. So when Craig and I were in grad school, so we both got Masters of Divinity, um, we were in a preaching class together. And in the class, you had to preach, and then you got graded on it. And there were about seven students who would not attend when I preached. And one of them was a really good friend, had come to our house for dinner, and he was really clear he was not coming because I was a woman, and he should not be hearing me, and I should not be teaching men. So there were about seven people who just didn't come. Then there were others that let me know, well, I feel like I can come because you're covered by the maleness of the professor. I mean, they didn't put it that way, but that's what they were saying. And then there were the others that were there. Okay, already you're getting how I might have had trouble with love because it was about me trying, like I wasn't out there trying to do crazy things. I was trying to be prepared to serve God, and yet it was quite conflictual. Um, simultaneous to these the preaching class in particular, I was a volunteer chaplain in a juvenile detention center. So it was teenagers. Probably the youngest kid we had there was about 11, all the way up to 17. And some of them had done things like steal a car, some of them had raped and murdered. Like it was pretty intense stuff. And they were also kids. So this was in a tract that someone had given them. You might have seen something like this, ways Christians communicate. So one day, one of the guys was looking and I was like, oh, somebody else had brought that, had this little spark of conversation. You know, I'm thinking, Philip, Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot, we're gonna have a cool spiritual talk here. I go, well, hey, I noticed you're looking at this. Do you have any questions? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, well, well, what, you know? And he goes, why does God only care what I do and men do? And why doesn't God care what women do? Now, this was a kid in a gang in a whole lot of trouble. And he was feeling that God was preferencing women and only judging men because of this picture where it says man instead of human. So what I thought was this grad school debate about what are the roles of men and women and inclusive language all of a sudden had a down earth, urban, practical application. Because it mattered to this young man. And I was like, okay, I've got to wrestle this out. I was blessed with professors that allowed us to study and study hard. These are my empty classes, all the people that didn't come. And so I all of a sudden felt like I need to be clear. What does the Bible teach? And what do I think I'm going to relate to about how the Bible teaches? Because here's the place. I was being prepared to be a minister of Jesus, but there were some passages in the Bible I had not yet wrestled with. And other people were trying to use to help me fit. And I needed to know what the Bible said. But I also needed to know what was I going to do. And here's what I told the Lord. I was like, okay, Jesus, in my prayer time, I will do whatever the Bible says. I will. But I need to make sure I'm getting it right and not just what somebody else is trying to tell me to do. And so I think there's a lot of ways we come to the Bible. Is it the word of God? And so I'm going to try and understand it. Um, or is it just, oh, huh, hard day in school this week. Okay, let's see. 
Jesus told this man, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his majestic. Jesus wants me to be rich. And we do weird things because we want some inspiration instead of doing some due diligence. Is it challenging? Like, whoa, it's old language. It's translated. It's a different culture or two. Why am I reading this? Oh, it's fine literature. I had an English professor in university in my undergrad who thought I was brilliant. I was not brilliant. I had gone to Sunday school and I got every biblical reference in all this literature and I, he thought I was smart. I wasn't really all that great in English. I just understood the literature references and allusions. It's outdated, it's another culture, it's very, very, very old. It's a tool of oppression. People have taken all of these stances to the scripture, but what I would wonder is um, studying the hard stuff can help. Um, about, yeah, almost two years ago, a group of origin women had a small group, some people that had questions, and so we looked at this very passage in 1 Timothy 2, and clearly some of them were curious about women in the Bible, but they hadn't read 1 Timothy 2, because when I read it, they went, <gasps> so I'm about to read it, and if you have a <gasps> physical reaction, that's okay, because I still can sort of have it, but we're going to walk through it. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to actually read the whole chapter, but we're going to focus on verses 8 through 15. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. If it's your Bible, could you circle that word quiet? We're coming back to it. In all godliness and holiness, this is good. And pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a truth true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. It's a doozy. Now, I want to explain that we have just read a portion of a letter between, there's some debate, but we're pretty sure it's Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. You need to know that they were very close. That's why Paul said he was like a son to him. You also need to know that Timothy came to know Christ because his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, they're even named in the Bible, taught Timothy. You need to know that Paul, who is writing this letter, served 
along other women, Priscilla and Aquila, Junius, Mark's mom, there's a bunch of them, that he served with women. And so then you have to say, oh, okay, so Timothy came to Christ because of the teaching of women. Paul served alongside teaching women. I better get curious because what this says and what I know from the larger Bible, hmm, there's some tension there. Do you feel that? Does this, do the words take your breath away a little bit? A little bit? Okay. Church in Ephesus. Last week we did marriage and relationships in Ephesus. Ephesus is in what's today modern-day um, Turkey near Izmir. It's on a coastal city. And guess what? It was a baby church. And apparently a lot of conflict is happening. I'm not going to read all these passages in the rest of the letter. But they're here if you want to read them. This church was having teaching that was contrary to the truth. Some people's faith had been shipwrecked. There was serious anger and controversy, and there were some inappropriate relationships within the church. Okay? It was a port city, not unlike Vancouver. It was a port city where um, Artemis worship was important. I think I got my things out of order. We'll just explain this. I do want you to see there's parallelism. Okay, this is for all you analytical minds. Chapter two starts with a focus for everyone. Then there's some teaching for the men. There's some teaching for the women. And this is the important part, and I'll go through it with the words. It deals with plural women, singular women, a specific woman probably, and then plural again. The same pattern flips over into the next chapter. So that's just for analytical minds to see that Paul was following structure as he wrote, okay? Now, ancient Ephesus, here's a map. If you can't find it, I need a little pointer, don't I? It's on the coast. In this city, if you find it, Ephesus, okay? There is still the ruins of this mega temple for Artemis. Artemis was a Greek goddess, but the city of Ephesus had its own unique way of worshiping her. Apparently, you could see her temple before you could see land. And what is really important to know is that this was a part of the livelihood of the city, not just the religious culture. If you go and look in some of the chapters that are listed here in Acts, they tried to have Paul killed because they were worried their silversmith little uh, tokens would not be sold anymore if Paul's evangelism kept spreading. Paul also loved this church. Paul, on another trip, comes. The leaders come out, and they meet him, and they wept because he said, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'll be arrested. I'm not coming back. This church also later was blessed by the apostle John, Jesus' beloved disciple, ended up pastoring here. He also ended up getting exiled on the island of Patmos that was just right off of it. This was a hub city, but Artemis was vital. Now, Artemis is also connected to the Egyptian goddess Isis. So if you were traveling and you couldn't meet, worship Artemis, you went to Isis's temple. Women were 
uh, very influential. She was a goddess that looked over um, lots of things, but one of them would be childbearing. She was also called a savior, and we're going to come back to all these bits and pieces. But it was pervasive in their culture. They had special holidays. There was huge employment implications. And so there was the backdrop. And we're hearing this letter that Paul wrote Timothy. But are we hearing both sides of the conversation? No. Uh, early marriage. Craig heard me on the phone with my mom. And he could tell something had happened. So we had a long conversation. And afterwards he'd say, oh, Ellen, is everything okay? Like, kind of, do you need to go home? Who is sick? And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? He goes, you said this, this, and this. And I laughed and laughed until I could stop laughing and explain to him, my mama was catching me up on her soap opera and who had had trauma in the soap opera. And I did not need to go to Georgia over a soap opera. And there was no major life. But he had only heard one side of the conversation. And he was just certain that, like, you know, an aunt and uncle, somebody was not right. So we're going to get really specific with the side of the conversation that we have. We've talked that there's controversy. Now, in verse 2, there is this word. I don't know that you know Greek, but you can read the English underneath. It's talked about being quiet. This is about being tranquil. It's paralleled with peaceful. So verse 2 says, For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, this doesn't mean boring lives. This means peaceful. Quiet, not like hush. Peaceful. Peace is good, isn't it? Wouldn't you like that? Okay. Now, this. here's another thing. If you're not um, an English major, you might have missed this along the way. If the word is repeated, pay attention. Quiet's in this place three times. Down in verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. What's happening in this church? Is everybody getting along? They're having conflict. And now they're being asked to be, to learn in quietness. It's the same word for tranquility or peacefulness. And this word comes again in verse 12. I do not permit a woman, and we're going to come back to that, to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. She needs to be peaceful. Okay, now I just want you to have this as the kind of another layer. Do you see how there's a lot of layers dealing with this? We're going to come back to the earlier verses and then come to verse 12. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Have you ever heard an angry prayer? Oh, it's like I don't have the gumption to tell you to the face all of what you need to hear. So I pray to God, want, oh God, you just make them more generous and more patient. Well, I'm, I'm not actually asking for the spirit of Jesus to change. I'm telling you what I want you to do and acting like I'm praying. And there had been probably just some of this kind of praying. Okay, I've never been to church where there were fist fights in the church. But he's telling them to lift their hands, not in anger, but to take a stance of prayer. 
was some serious conflict if he's having to say, don't lift your hand in anger. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay, this is way more information than you want to know about ancient literature. There is a story that they used to think was in third century. A couple of, there's, in the last half century, there's been some new archeological finds in Ephesus, which is part of why we understand this better. And there's this novella. It's like a short little novel, soap opera. I read it because I wanted to understand how it was connected to this because that's what they say it is. And in the story, there are two teenagers that meet at an Artemis festival and they're leading their friends in a party. And then they end up falling in love. And then they end up getting married. And then they end up having a whole lot of stories. But here is what this matters to the Bible. These verses, 9 and 10, are all the same language that's in this novel about a couple that met at an Artemis ceremony. Why does that matter? Mm. Women who were leaders in the Artemis temple, it seems, had come to know Jesus. And they were used to leading in Artemis worship. These are descriptions of how they would have dressed. It's paralleled in this ancient literature piece, Greek literature. And they were dressing up like leaders of Artemis and coming in and expecting to have the same influence and the same power they had had in the Artemis temple. Interestingly, in verse 10, to worship God is a word play. And, and I won't belabor this, but there's a word that they would do these deeds of piety. So it's kind of like showing, let me give some money. Everybody thinks I'm something. I get power and influence. And God's saying, mm, I want you to have your acts of worship to me. And it's going to look different. Now, the description of the hairstyle, the description of the jewelry, and the focusing on clothes, in the Greek, the words are parallel to describing how you would dress up to go worship Artemis. So if you're getting to know Jesus and you're saying, I'm going to follow him, maybe you don't need to act like you're worshiping the goddess Artemis anymore. Does that make sense? And then we get to heavy. Okay. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Now, y'all, I know this is tedious, but here's what it matters. And you know why it matters? It matters because either you're a woman that God wants to fully release, or you're a man that's got women and some of your actions are just or are not just. And the other reason doing this word matters is because if we say the Bible matters, we need to wrestle with this. And we need to have reasons that our actions are obeying God. Um, so here's the thing. The command in all of these verses is in verse 11, that a woman should learn. Only command is that women should be learning. Now, I had a friend, and she was like, oh, Ellen, why is this so hard to understand? Why, does it, why isn't the Bible here meaning what it says? I said, well, it does. You just need to study. And she goes, well, why? Why can't it just be plain speak? And I looked at her. I said, you just spent four and a half years on a degree on something that you learned from your mama and you could have done anyway. Why'd you spend all that time studying? 
And why are you looking to apply for a master's? Because it matters. And God's word and how we live it out matters. But it also matters how women see themselves. So women, are you learning the word of God? And here's the piece is in peace and in full submission. In other words, am I learning with a receptive heart? Or am I coming in and not being peaceful and not being yielded to the teaching of God? So the command is to learn. And then Paul says, here's the doozy. Help me, Jesus. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Okay, what does quiet mean now? We did look at it three times. What does quiet mean? Tranquil, peaceful. That's what we're doing. Now, here's a problem with verbs. So, I am not permitting. So, okay, help me, Jesus. <laughs> Paul was writing this letter because they were having conflict. I want you to notice it says a woman. They all knew who she was in your family. If there's a fight, do you know who started it? Do I have to name my brother? No. Everybody knows which brother is conflictual. Everybody knows. Everybody knew who he was talking about. I am not permitting. He wasn't saying this woman could even not forever teach. But she needed to go learn. She knew all about Artemis. She had just come to Jesus. And she needed to learn something before she tried to teach. I am not permitting is not a command. It is in, during this time ongoing. The other thing that's important is this was teaching as a task, not as a position. And so we know that there's spiritual gifts of teaching. In our church, we have a rotation of teachers and some other people are gonna come into the rotation soon. And we, it's not a specific office. Paul's not dealing with a position. He is dealing with a human who needed to go do some learning. And the other verb, to assume authority, do you see? Or to assume authority over a man. This verb's only once in the Bible, and in related extra-biblical literature, it's very rare, once or twice. And so it's very hard to pick it out. But in there is the idea of someone who is domineering, who's trying to get the upper hand, who is a mastermind. This isn't having leadership. This is trying to control and dominate. Now, remember the parallelism between um, Artemis and between... Isis? Well, Isis tried to dominate her brother Ra. They were twins. And Artemis and her brother Apollos. Cities. Cities would have competitions about Artemis and Apollos because they were brother and sister and they were like vying for positional power. There was this whole backdrop of conflict and power seeking. Um, and so I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. She was needing to deal with what was happening. She needed to be teachable. She needed to be tranquil or peaceful and not trying to dominate. Remember we talked about singular, plural, singular, plural? That is what was happening. 
Now, Adam and Eve. This passage has long confused me, this verse. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And I had a professor even, I mean a theology professor who said, well, that means cows are over men. Like order of creation? What is that? Artemis was born. Before, well, Artemis was born before Apollos. And so they are trying to give, I'm glad somebody saw the humor of this. They were trying to give a backdrop to that and say, look, this, there's a different story that's going to be the flow of your life. Eve deceived. Okay, now get this. Eve disobeyed God's command, and she didn't usurp Adam. Adam was there. Okay, in Ephesus, there were other teachers, teachers who were teaching things that were not true. If you get to the end of the book of 1 Timothy, you'll find that. Why was Eve deceived? Why are most people deceived? Pride? What else? Ignorance? Ignorance? Hmm? Greed. Greed. If I think I know it all, and I don't know enough, and I'm greedy, am I teachable? Eve decided she knew better. Eve also had not probably maybe been fully instructed. And the false teaching of the serpent deceived her. It is not a positional status of all women for all time. And so what's happening, Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Adam just rebelled. Adam did eat it. Remember, he was there. So in the first few centuries, if you read what Christians wrote after this letter was written, there was no assumption that women couldn't be teaching. There was no assumption that all women were in a state of deception because Eve had been. That this was a teaching about these women in this city who were facing false teachers. Um, but what did come in is a worldview of dominance and it impacted how this passage began to be taught somewhere in around the 300s after Christ. All right, childbirth. Okay, y'all, I know this is tedious. We're going to get to some application. It says in verse 15, the woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Okay, Artemis, one of her names was Savior. She was the goddess of midwifery. But she wasn't like all real tender and kind and nurturing to women who had babies. Here's her deal. She had watched her goddess mama be in child labor for nine days. Now, not all of you have been in labor, but let's just say it's awful. After the first time, Craig said, no, we can't do this anymore because he was in the room. Obviously, we had a few more, but it's awful. So, and then in ancient times, women knew that they could die. Actually, women still die today. It's, it's, a, it's a precarious place for that newborn and for the mama. So Artemis had watched this nine days of childbirth, and she went immediately to God Zeus and said, hey, um, I need to be immune to Cupid's arrows. I do not want to have, be struck by love. I don't ever want to do that. And she was granted that fact. But then, 
Then she became over other people's childbirth. Well, she wasn't like all tender. She was like, oh, that's going bad. The thought was, she might just let you die because it's too hard a childbirth and she didn't want the nine-day variety ever again. So she's not a tender goddess of childbirth, like, oh, this sweet mom moment and this sweet baby and let's just help them all. She was like deciding life and death. So guess what? You know it's dangerous to have children and you've decided to follow Jesus. But now you've left all protection for having babies where you may very well die. And you're not sure this man, Jesus, is going to walk you through child. And what if, what if Artemis gets mad at you and she makes sure you die in childbirth? There are real fears because of the precariousness of childbirth. The woman will be, and the word saved isn't our word just like, dun, 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 but kept safe through childbearing. So what is being addressed is not, not that having children makes you saved, because who makes us saved? Jesus. That'd be some crazy theology if we said having babies is what made you saved. Hmm? And yet that's how, if that's how we're treating this sometimes. We need to know what the backdrop is. The other piece is, do you see down in chapter 3, it says, here's a trustworthy saying. In case you didn't know, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses or headings. And some put the, here is a trustworthy saying, up here with this about women being saved in childbirth. Now, we're finished with tedious, I hope. And let's talk about application. The tedious matters so that I and you do not just throw away the word of God because it is hard. You need to know, my suspicion is, is that some of you may never look at the details again. There is good reason to read this as a conflict resolution and as a People need to know deeply their faith. But there is no reason when you look at this, there really is no responsible reason to hinder how women serve. And there were lots of women who were leading in the New Testament. And so you want to get to know some of them. You actually want to make friends with the whole Bible, with Deborah, with Huldah, with Isaiah's wife, with Mary, with Junius, Priscilla, Philip's daughters, Lydia, Phoebe, Yodia, and Syntyche. Now, they had a bit of a conflict, but guess what? Paul's concern was they were conflictual, and they were his co-laborers. You want to know Anna the prophetess, who was at Jesus' um, dedication? Why does this matter? We come to the Bible that is written by Jewish, Greek, and Roman peoples. We ourselves come with multiple cultures. Not me personally, but within my immediate family that was living in my house, there are five cultures that are brought to bear in anger and conflict and joy and celebration. 
How many cultures do you bring to the, your, to the Bible and to your relationships? And guess what? The cultures that I come from, one would have more limited spaces where women let lead. The culture that I live in here is angry about any limitation put on any human and you just have no right to tell me. So I've got these cultures going. Craig's Irish culture has got some strong women. Um, you also come with all of those worldviews. Those worldviews impact how you read the Word of God. And when you come to the Word of God, if nothing else, I want to encourage you that when it's hard and tricky, do some work, get some help, ask some questions, learn how to study deeply, not just to miss it. But the other thing is that can we learn that there is a tension? I want you to do this with me. There's tension. Do you ever feel that? There's like, well, this is what I thought God said, and this is what Christians really do, and it can make us resentful. Instead, we learn to live in tension that Jesus has a redeemed reality that is coming, and here is the reality of today's spaces. Whew. But the other reason this passage matters is because I want all of you to be who you were created to be in Christ. I want you free to express all of the gifting he has given you. And for a while, I had done the study on this passage, but I thought, oh, if I teach it, if I talk about it, I'm just promoting myself, and that's, that's gross. I've done the study, I'm at liberty, it's okay. But see, this is one of my favorite pictures of my girls. Obviously, it's a few years ago. I had daughters. I also had women I was mentoring. And then I was like, oh, they're feeling limited. They are not feeling released. So instead of coming to this passage and going, come on to the Bible, or the guys that wouldn't come to class because they were going to be contaminated by my preaching, come on, come on, and probably some other words. I want to say, Come on, all of you, be who you are created to be. The one command here is to learn. So be learners of the things of God, learners of his word. I also want you to learn how to do conflict without raising angry hands or without trying to usurp and domineer. That's some hard work from here, to learn how to do conflict well. But to do conflict well is part of being released into freedom. Another important space around this is because this passage has sometimes been used to control or limit women, some women have woven that into their identity. And so it means those of you that don't have that woven into your identity need to invite those women, need to call out the gifting they have, fan into flame. What is it that's happening? And this is true whether it's your peers, it's your mom, it's your daughter. How are you calling people in to be learners of God, to not need to try and dominate a situation because they are informed and can act wisely?
Um, I've also been told that this is a secondary matter and Christians really shouldn't talk too much about this because it's not what we're really meaning as Christians. Obviously I have some emotion around that, but here's why. Um, that who I am and who women are is not a secondary issue between them and Jesus. And so you need to, and this is particularly to women, you need to be fully empowered and fully informed and fully free to know God and study his word and share that and use the gifting you have. You know, it, it's a waste actually to me if you come here and you are so honed in on all these UBC excellent skills and yet you are still a baby in using who you are for Christ. I want you to hone who you are. This conflict is not important to people who are liberated. But it is hugely important in the broader Christian community if you are not serving with your all. We sing all to Jesus, I surrender. But he is not asking you to surrender who you've made him, who he's made you to be. He's asking you to surrender to him your fears, your domineeringness, your uninformedness. He wants you to come. He wants you to be fearless. He does not want you to receive a lie about who you are. He, in this words of the song we're about to sing, he can make us be who we are created to be. You are his sons and you are his daughters. Peter walked on the water. Jesus said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you're going to do more than he did. And so when that is released in us when we are not bound by a misunderstanding of this and one or two other limiting factors we can be who we are so come on church let's be who we are in Christ and let's create space for one another to learn and to flourish let's pray Jesus, I pray that we would receive from you a peaceful heart. Lord, many of us have a break this next week, and that we would use that time to find rest in you. Jesus, I also pray that we would become uh, people who actively learn about you and your word, and we put into practice what we know. And Lord, that we would become wise to how our own culture informs what we do and what we think. And that we would allow ourselves to be more children of your kingdom. And that we would become informed in our thinking and our feeling in the ways and the knowledge of Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray that we would learn to put down a domineering spirit and lift up a peacefulness informed by your reality. Help us to call out one another to be who we are created to be into fullness of life, an abundant life of knowing you and of serving you.